The title of the sermon, for those who are taking notes, is The Proclamation of Christ. The Proclamation of Christ. This is the last Sunday of 2019. I will not see you again until next year in 2020. And I do need glasses, and so I will not see you in 2020, though. It will be whatever my prescription is, which I don't know, because I don't wear them as I ought to. Let's, that's another thing for another day. Uh, it's the last Sunday of the year. It's also uh, the last Sunday that our dear sister Kim will be with us. Miss Kim, can you wave your hand here? Thank you. Uh, yeah, give her a hand. Give her a hand. <clears throat> Uh, the Lord brought Miss Kim here. Uh, she is working as a traveling nurse, and she has been here uh, just blessing us with her presence since she's uh, been on Maui for these few months. So send her in a manner worthy of God. Let her know you love her as she goes back to Louisiana. Uh, and it is a joy to have you, Kim. May the Lord bless you in your going. It's a new year. The new decade begins in a few days. We all know that uh, when the clock strikes midnight, our lives reset, and everything goes back to the way it was, nice, happy, and good, right? No, no, that doesn't happen in a few days, but the New Year's does offer, I, I do like it, it does offer a multi-sensory reminder that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning, amen? We get new morning mercies every day. We don't have to wait for the New Year to look forward to what God has in store for us. We don't look forward for hope. We look backwards, all the way back about 2,000 years to the cross of Christ when our hope was definitively purchased and definitively came to be. When Jesus rose from the dead, we got mercy forevermore. Praise God. Hallelujah. So that's what we look forward to. And New Year's reminds us that we have new mercy available to us and that new mercy is available today as much as it will be tomorrow and forever for those who are in Christ. Before I get into the sermon, <clears throat> as promised, I said I would unveil the new sermon series. Our new sermon series. We finished Revelation after about almost I don't know, a year and a half, maybe more. Uh, we, we were in the book of Revelation. Prior to that, we were in John and Exodus uh, and so, First uh, John, and, and so we just, we ha we've had a good time with John the Apostle. Uh, so where are we going? I have a lot of questions. I told Pete and Donna, Pete and Donna Beal, you'll notice they are not here this morning. Uh, they are celebrating their 49th wedding anniversary. Uh, and so they are out this weekend doing that. Send them a message, let them know you love them. Praise God for long marriages, 49 years of covenant faithfulness for those two. So uh, they were asking, they were sad that they were going to miss, and so I'm actually going to write the new sermon series down. I told them if they're not here, they don't get to hear it. They got to wait. So I'm going to write it down on the board. No, no I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I will tell them what it is, uh, and I'll put it in audio. So you're welcome, Pete and Donna. Um, our new sermon series, our book series that will take us for the next, all the way through April, through Easter, it's a famous book of the Bible. It dovetails very nicely with Revelation. We will not finish it before I leave for sabbatical. We will finish it uh, in the fall, Lord willing. It has some of the most famous Bible stories 
around that you knew you've learned them growing up in vacation Bible schools and Sunday schools from your mom, your dad, your grandparents. It's got some of the most famous Bible stories, and it also has some of the most enigmatic, mysterious passages in all of Scripture. That book is none other than the Old Testament prophet of Daniel. The Old Testament book of Daniel. We will be uh, breaking ground in that the second Sunday of January. Nick Tanaka will be preaching uh, this coming next week. uh, Coming up, he'll be preaching from the book of James. And then we will kick off our sermon series in Daniel, the first half of the book of Daniel. So uh, I am very excited about it. I think you will see some things with, Lord willing, new eyes afresh in 2020. And so uh, come out ready for that. So let's close out 2019 with a bang, shall we? What message do we need, do we have to hear ringing in our ears as we close out the decade and begin another? What do we need? And note that I didn't say, what do you want to hear? But what do you need to hear? That's my way of giving you a warning to get ready for some work. Gird up the loins of your minds. Put on your rib protectors because your spouse might give you one of those or your neighbor might give you that elbow to the rib cage and we'll see what the Lord has in store for us. We've done a small excursion in Christology in December. We looked at the preeminence of Christ. We looked at the preexistence of Christ. We saw the plan of redemption. We saw the presence of God and we will close out the year with the proclamation of Christ. The proclamation of Christ and our role as witnesses from Luke's gospel. So let's pray and get started. Father in heaven, I confess that I am unable, I am incapable of doing what you require of us, all of us, apart from your Holy Spirit now. So Father, would you give spiritual life to the dead this morning? Would you give spiritual repentance to those who are entangled or ensnared in sin? Would you wake up those who are slumbering at the end of 2019 spiritually? Father, would you do this? I pray that as your word is preached, that you would give us soft hearts and attentive minds. As your word is preached, would you give us iron spines to speak your word as bold witnesses, martyrs even. And Lord, as we speak your word, would you do a mighty work, not just in this church, but in our families and in our communities. May many turn from their sin and turn to Christ because your people will not stop talking about you and how great you are. And so, Father, would you do this? Enamor us with yourself, we pray this morning. And I do want to lift up uh, the church on Molokai for Kaunakakai Baptist as they are seeking a pastor. I pray that you would give them a faithful pastor. I pray that those members would desire and earnestly long to be led by the Word and the Word alone and that you would do an incredible, monumental turning to yourself 
of the people in Molokai. I pray that you would be with those who are working there faithfully now. I pray for uh, Pastor Ram. I ask that you would strengthen his soul, give him uh, steadfastness. May he be immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Would you raise up an army of those to serve alongside with him on Mauna Loa? And so, Lord, I just thank you for them. Would you bless the ministry of your word as it is preached in all areas of our island? In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I will try not to cough uh, too much into the mic, and if I do, forgive me. The, the cloud of contagious stuff has just settled in my lungs, and so uh, maybe it will be gone soon, but forgive me if I cough. The big idea for this sermon is God has placed you and clothed you with power to proclaim his message to all people. God has placed you and clothed you with power to proclaim his message to all people. That's the big idea here. Number one, I hope that this is a church of proclaimers. And so number one, a church of proclaimers is concerned with the scriptures. So all of my points will start with that. A church of proclaimers is concerned with the scriptures. So they'll all be a church of proclaimers, and then I'll add as we go on. But the first one is concerned with the scriptures. We see Jesus says in verse 44, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is going right before he's about to ascend into heaven. He's talking to his, his disciples, those who are left. And he says, everything that was written about me must be fulfilled. Now, we often think about the suffering and the resurrection of Jesus as it is written in the Old Testament. Rightfully so. We should. That's often what we think about and what we've been seeing. But there's more than, than just that. Notice what he says. What else is written about him in the Old Testament? This should stun you. Verse 47. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Now, if you read that, if you read that carefully, you'll notice he doesn't break his thought when he says, and his suffering and rising from the dead is written in the Old Testament. It's all there, all of it. His suffering, his resurrection, and the proclamation of that message to all nations. Thank you. Teresa, I appreciate that. Thank you for the water. I was actually going to ask for that. You were already on it. Thank you, sister. That all of these things, including the proclamation of his name to the nations, it's all written in the Old Testament. Now, I'm going to do a brief excursus here uh, and just to engage a theological position that is far too popular in our day and in our age. I'm going to do a brief excursus here. If you know what I'm talking about, then you'll recognize it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then don't worry about it right now. <coughs> Either way, it's important because a lot of erroneous philosophies arise from this thinking. Check this out. God's plan for the nations, 
is not his plan B because Israel rejected him as king. It is not his, his backup plan because he was rejected as the Messiah. See, a certain school of theology would have us to believe that the plan of salvation for the Gentiles was a mystery in the Old Testament. Now it's revealed in the New Testament that God's plan for the Gentiles, the time of the Gentiles, is a parenthetical, that it's a parenthesis, that it wasn't there before, but now we see it because Israel rejected her king. That is not what the scriptures teach. The mystery is not the time of the Gentiles. The mystery in Ephesians chapter 3, and if, like I said, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. The mystery in Ephesians chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 1 is not the church age for the Gentiles. That is not the mystery. Read it carefully in your own time. Here's the mystery. Ready? The mystery is that the Gentiles would be on a footing of perfect equality in the same way fellow heirs, co-heirs, not secondary, not confined to the outer courts, but co-heirs with the Jews as one people of God in Christ. That is the mystery of God. Now, end of excursus, that's what I said. Can I prove it from the Old Testament? Yes, I can. I'm glad you asked. Let's do that. Now, <coughs> excuse me, I'm excited, I'm excited. Jesus says right here, Luke 24, in the Old Testament, that this message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations. I could spend literally all morning going through passage of passage. We, we wouldn't leave the Psalms. If you wanted to see where it says the, the glory of God will be proclaimed in all the earth, among all nations, among all peoples, we would be there all day just in Psalms. We wouldn't even finish the Psalms. I want to go to two, just two, for time's sake, because I got a lot to say this morning, two Old Testament passages briefly. Genesis chapter 12, this is a significant, these are two really significant points of redemptive history. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, the famous call of Abraham, the promise of blessing to Abraham. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We're going to read it. <clears throat> it's up here on the screen. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And check this out. Verse 3. And in you, what? All the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see that worldwide scope of God's plan? Way back in Genesis 12, it was never about Israel as a nation only. It was always universal scope. Why? Because Adam and Eve sinned. They messed up. God wasn't concerned to just save one group of people. He was pursuing all of his people from the very beginning so that in you all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now, we could trace that out to Exodus and see how God says, I'm going to set free Israel. I'm going to redeem them from slavery to Egypt so that my glory, my name would be known among the nations. Wasn't just about 
freeing Israel. It was so that at every watering hole in the Middle East, as people were going, they'd say, did you hear about that God, Yahweh, what he did to Pharaoh? It was about his name going forth among the nations. But we're going to fast forward to the temple period. See, the tabernacle came, and later underneath the, the kingship, uh, the, here we have 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 41 to 43. The theocracy of Israel. They have king. David wasn't allowed to build God a permanent dwelling. Uh, God allowed his son Solomon to do that, 1 Kings 8, 41 to 43. And, and this is the dedication ceremony of the temple. That's what this is. This is the temple's been built now, and now they're, they're, we might say, commissioning it. They're dedicating the temple to service. And now Solomon's doing his prayer, his prayer, the kingly prayer over this temple, dedicating it to service to God. Note what he says. Verse 41. Likewise, when a foreigner who's, who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake. That's an important phrase. It's worth studying. You can Google that or put, run that through a, a Bible search engine for your name's sake. And you'll see all kind of stuff that's really impactful. When, a, when they come from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays towards this house, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all that for which the foreigner calls to you. What's the purpose? Here it is. You see the purpose? Get ready. In order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. You see that? From the creation, from the call of Abraham to the creation of a nation, to their establishment in Israel, the building of the temple, ultimately through the fulfillment of Christ that he himself said, I'm going to destroy this, you destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Because who is the true temple of God that this pointed forward to? Who? It's not a where, it's not a what, it's a who, it's Jesus, and in Jesus, all the nations of the earth are blessed, and that has been the plan since the beginning, and as one of my Old Testament professors used to say, the God of the Bible is a missionary God. He has had a heart for the nations since the book of Genesis, and his people, likewise, have a heart for the nations since the beginning. See, the Jews missed it. They missed it. They thought it was all about them. The Gentiles were dogs. That's what happens when ethnicity thinks it's all about me. God's all about me. They missed it. So, as a church of proclaimers of this message, we need to be biblically oriented to God's word because it's all there. And Jesus had to give them understanding to see it. He had to open their minds to understand the scriptures, didn't he? Let's take a moment to, to apply that. So just as the Jews who had the promises, who had the Old Testament scriptures, God's people, just as they missed it, they were ignorant of the primary message of the Old Testament that they had. They missed it. Just as they missed it, so too today there are many people in churches who miss 
the message of the gospel. There are many people in churches across our land, in our island, who are familiar with the Bible, but they don't know the Bible. Maybe you're here. Maybe you are exposed to the Scriptures. You know some of the things about the Bible. You know aspects of the Scriptures, but you don't know how it works together or why it matters. See, there's a ton of people who think the gospel message has a one-time application. Saves, discard it. Give me something else. Give me real doctrine. Give me real meat to chew on. There are scores of believers, many people, who don't realize that the gospel is crucial to daily living, to growing in Christ-likeness, to understanding that I'm a sinner. I need grace today as much as I did 20 years ago, and, and I'll need it for eternity. There are scores of people who have the Bible in your hand, on your shelf, and you miss it just like Israel. So when you think of where will I do gospel work, God, what do you want me to do in this area? Do I need to go to wherever to do that, to the jungles of the Amazon to do that? Maybe. But don't negate looking around here either. Get to know your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And you might find there are many, many that need biblical, faithful instruction, and somebody to come alongside them and bear that burden. That's why I love the BCCM, the Biblical Counseling Center. Essentially, we use wise and skillful counsel from the Bible to bring the gospel to bear in every aspect of life. And when we do that, what we see, unsurprisingly, is people change. People actually change. When the gospel is brought to bear on my marriage problem, my marriage changes because I change. When the gospel is brought to bear with problem children or problem finances or problems at work, change happens because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. We love the BCCM church. We need to be a biblically oriented and a biblically literate church to God's message in all the scriptures. And I will do my best as pastor to proclaim the whole counsel of God to you. That's why I, I, I have a pattern, believe it or not. Uh, I have a pattern in the way I preach. The, the pattern or the books I choose, it's Old Testament, New Testament narrative, New Testament epistle, Old Testament. New Testament narrative, New Testament epistle, Old Testament. So you can start to gauge where we're going to be, at least what half of the book we're going to be in, as you see that pattern because I want to preach the whole counsel of God to you so that you are equipped for every good work. So we must be biblically oriented and biblically literate, number one. Number two, a church of proclaimers is clear on the gospel. A church of proclaimers is clear on the gospel. Verse 48, Jesus says... <clears throat> You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. In the Greek, do you know what that word witness is? It's where we get our English word martyr. That's how they got that name. Because as they bore witness to these things, they were killed. 
maimed, tortured, beaten. And so that became a title for them. They were martyrs. You are witnesses of these things. And Jesus now has just rehearsed the core tenets of the gospel, the core tenets of the message. And then he tells him, and you guys are witnesses of this. KBC in 2019 and 2020, we must be clear on the gospel message. When it comes to the gospel, we cannot afford to be like Dory from Finding Nemo, forgetting where we're going, forgetting what we're doing, forgetting where everything, all kinds of things. We cannot afford to be like Dory when it comes to the gospel. I don't want you just to bear witness. I want you to say the right things about the most important message in the world. If I were to call you up on the platform right now, do a, let's do a random, a random test. I'm going to call somebody at random, and I want you to share the gospel for 30 seconds. You got 30 seconds to tell me the whole gospel message. Okay, ready? Let's do a random. I'm just kidding. <laughs> How many of your hearts are beating right now? You're like, oh, oh. <laughs> okay, it's not me, praise God, right? Did that freak you out? Would you pause? Would you stumble over your words? More importantly, would you say it correctly? Do you know it enough to say it? Ask yourself this question, do I know the gospel, and am I able to explain it to others? If the answer is no, hear me, don't hear me scolding you, hear me encouraging you, beckoning you. Maybe that's why you're not growing in the faith. Maybe that's why you're still struggling, you haven't gotten victory over sin in your life. Maybe that's why your family hasn't believed yet and you've been praying for them because you don't even know the gospel enough to tell them. Are you able to weave the gospel in and out of conversation? See, a church of witnesses, proclaimers, is clear on the gospel message. If you want to be clear on the gospel this morning, first, we, I, I speak it like every Sunday. Listen, oh, how's he saying? What's, what's, the, what's the tenets there? Christ Jesus came to save sinners who repent and believe. Two seconds. Now, I can expand on that for hours, but if I needed to say it in a pinch, you can do it. Think about these things and then be able to expand on them because you will need to in conversations. If you want to know more about the gospel, there's a great little book. Little book. I like little books with little pages. It's called What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. Excellent little book. And Whitney can summarize it for you if, if you want her to. Whitney Blondo. So she can summarize it. She just read it. She's got it. What is the gospel? Be clear on the gospel message. A church of proclaimers is clear on the gospel message. Number three, a church of proclaimers is not consumer-oriented, but consumed with God. Here we go. Here we go. I need to drink water on this. You do too. Water break. A church of proclaimers is not consumer-oriented, but it is consumed with God. As we become biblically oriented to the story of Scripture, God's redemptive heart, and are clear on the gospel, we can't help but be increasingly consumed with God. 
We can't help to have our appetites for our hearts enlarged for the things of God. See, some of us start out like the Grinch on Christmas, right? You have a little tiny heart for the gospel maybe, right? But it's there. It's there. And then as you, get, oh, as you mature and progress in the faith, your heart grows five times that size, and you start to feel things you never felt before. You care about people you never cared for before. You do things you would have never done before because you become consumed with God. See, as we do this, we become consumed by God, and, and therefore it reorients our entire approach to worship. Get ready. Here we go. The church is not Costco people. I love, I have a love-hate relationship with Costco. The church is not Costco. We are not concerned primarily with what you want. This is not Burger King, and you do not get to have it your way. And you definitely ain't the king. Jesus is the king. That means there's all kinds of preferences that you need to lay aside for the glory of the king. See, the way some Christians act in church and the way some people approach church, you would think Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 is not in the Bible. Now, some of you are like, what does Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 say? I'm glad you asked. Let's go there. Philippians 2, 3 and 4, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, or you could say selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Beloved, some people walk around and act like this says the opposite. Let me read it in the negation. Read along with me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip it. Do everything from selfish ambition and conceit. In pride, count yourself more significant than others. Let others look to your interests as you also look to your interests. What is wrong with us? What is wrong with us? I don't like praise band Sundays. I don't like organ Sundays. I don't like this song. I don't like that song. I want these songs. Why do we do things like this or like that? Pastor preaches too long. Or I don't like it when others preach. I want pastor to preach. Why did Susan wear that to church? Somebody took my pew. No one said hi to me. Too many people say hi to me. There's, <laughs> amen, right? Uh, there's too many children here. They're too loud. I want it quieter. I want it louder. I'll come for part of the service that I like. I want, I want, I want. And we are like modern church Verucas. Do you know who Veruca is? Do you remember? Veruca from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You remember her? Do you remember her song? Her famous I Want It Now song? Here's a few lyrics. I want to party with rooms full of laughter, 10,000 tongues of ice cream, and if I don't get the things I am after, I'm going to scream. I want the works. I want the whole works, presents and prizes and sweets and surprises of all shapes and sizes, and now I don't care how. I want it now. 
That's how many of us approach church gatherings. And we have little orange men who are ready to escort you (laughs) out of here. But let me remind you, let us all be reminded, we aren't here for you. And as an aside, we do think through every aspect of our services. And so if something is happening, it's probably by design. And if it irks you, then you might be, it might be worth considering that might be part of the design. Designed to alert you to something or somewhere you or we all need to grow in. Repent of your selfish mindset in 2019. Don't blame others. Let Philippians 2, 3 to 4 be your fighter verse for 2020. Because I would venture to guess if you are like that in your approach to church, there may be other areas in your life that are characterized by the Veruca mindset as well. I told you to drink water. And you think, wow, pastor, that's not how you grow a church. I'm not concerned with growing a church. I am not concerned with growing a church numerically. I am concerned with growing a people to become more like Jesus in everything they think, say, and do. We are not a consumer-oriented church, but we are, by the grace of God, consumed with God. But this doesn't just apply to our church gatherings. This doctrine doesn't apply to our church gatherings. This applies to larger areas of our life. Sometimes, understandably, when really bad things happen in our lives, Christians ask God, why? Somebody died that was close to me. Why? 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 Somebody who is a believer dies in the Lord at a young age, and and we say, and I've heard people say, trying to grasp the pain of all this, They served God their whole lives. They were all about God. How could he have let them die like that? Beloved, this is what it means to be a Christian. It means that my life is not my own. It is in service to the king. And with all seriousness, I say, in two seconds, he could take my life, and he would do me no wrong, and he would have been infinitely kinder to me than I ever deserved. It means my life is submitted to the king's. And if he says, now is the time and he calls me home, I have to remember, I'm going home. It's not like I'm missing out. I get to go to the front of the line. And we have to remember this as we look over missions because as, I, as we talk about going and proclaiming his name and being a witness, you can't think of witness without thinking of martyr. What if... What if one of us goes? What if, what, if, what if somebody goes and dies? They died in service to the king. That was his orders. For his own good, mysterious, kind, benevolent, sovereign reasons, that's what had to happen. This applies to other areas of our lives. Painful? Yes. Can be. Three miscarriages, God is in control. Want a family, God is in control. 
He's given us a family, a beautiful family. What it means to be a believer is that we lay our desires, our wants, our plans, our hopes, our dreams to King Jesus and trust that his plan is infinitely better than what I could have ever crafted for myself. And one day, we believe by faith the promise that every tear will be gone. Every sorrow will be wiped away, and we will be forever with him, and we will proclaim his wisdom, and we would have done the same things if we knew what he knew. So as we take it out of the church realm, this is very practical for all areas of our life. We must be consumed with God's plan. Even in the pain, he is always, always good. We are consumed, not consumer-oriented. Number four, a church of proclaimers is not a come-and-see place, but a go-tell people. We are not a come-and-see people. We are a go-and-tell people. See, Israel was more of a come-see people with their fixed temple their established nation. They were, come, come and see when the foreigner comes from afar and they come. See, in the New Testament, it's flipped. The scriptures call you the temple of God, the people. Actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you are the temple of the living God, the building of God, his field. And you are meant to proclaim his excellencies. Should you invite people to church? Yes, you should. Yes, you should. That's awesome. Invite people to church. Invite everybody to church. Many people have gotten saved because somebody invited them to church one day. I don't ever want to undermine that. But that's not all you should be doing either. See, we don't just invite people to church. We do invite them, but we also bring the gospel to people as the church scattered. When we leave from here, Nick says, fellowship. And that fellowship doesn't just mean in here. It means take what's in here and move it out there. The church scattered. We go and we bring the gospel to people because there are some people who will never walk through those doors. There are some people who will never come in here without the gospel doing a work in them first. Now, you may feel like I speak the gospel. Pastor Randy, man, Pastor Randy, he speaks the gospel. I can never speak the gospel or talk about the things he talks about. But you have something I don't. And you have something I do. You have the Holy Spirit of God. You have the Word of God. And with your unsaved friends, you have relationship and access. Two things that I do not have. You have relationship and you have access. How odd would it be if I showed up at your workplace and I'm just standing outside the door or in the office just, here's preaching through my sermon notes. Your, your friends would be like, there's a strange man in here. Who is that? Who is that guy? They don't know I'm your pastor. They might think it's a little strange. But you have relationship and you have access. Don't downplay the way God uses those two things to save people. Jesus didn't tell his, his, his followers, go therefore and bring people to the apostles to hear the good news. They all went out. They're all sharing. They can't be they, they won't be shut up, not even under pain of persecution or prison or any number of other sufferings. They just keep bearing witness. In 2019 and 2020, God has placed you in your neighborhood with your family 
and all the fun dynamics of your family life. In your neighborhood, in your family, in your workplace, at your school, whether it be elementary school, middle school, high school, college, university, at your school, with your connections to do like we sing in that old song, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, right? He gave you those connections to go tell it. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. It is high time for Christians to stop being ashamed of the gospel and to stop being secret Christians in their workplace. You need to fly the gospel flag over your identity because that's your only identity. And I'm not talking about preaching the gospel from your cubicle. It's not what I'm talking about. Although, not limited to. It's not, I'm not talking about standing in your cubicle preaching gospel. I'm talking about don't underestimate how far being faithful in small things goes. Pray over your meals at lunchtime. You know how stunning it is when somebody sees a group of people praying anymore? We got stopped at a restaurant not long ago not because we were doing anything with our kids, not because we did anything special, but simply because we prayed over our meal. And they said, I haven't seen anybody pray over their meal in a long time. Pray over your meals. Bring a Bible and read it during your breaks. Maybe not the whole thing, maybe part of it. Bring a Bible. You say, I bring my phone. No, 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 no. Bring the book form of the Bible. Not just an app, bring an actual book. Did you know books start conversations? Especially when it's a Bible. And it tells people that the Bible's an unmistakable book. You don't even need to have the Bible on the front of it. It doesn't have to say the Holy Bible on it. People know what it is when they see it. When I read other books, people are like, oh, what you reading? They want to see the title and wonder what it is and talk about it. When I have a Bible in public, nobody asks. <laughs> nobody asks what I'm reading. They know. But we have other conversations that are really awesome. So read a Bible. Bring it with you in public. Take it. The app is very convenient, but a book will start conversations. Get together with other Christians in your workplace. Pray for your workplace. Pray for your coworkers. Some of you in here do this in just an incredible fashion. Uh, I won't say who, Joyce Higuchi, but um, <clears throat> your testimony uh, brings great praise and honor to Christ in the water department and in the county at large. So uh, there's no telling how much our county prospers or the water department because Joyce faithfully meets with other women and others there. Uh, to pray, to pray for their place. That's awesome. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for them. When people ask you your weekend plans, don't leave out church on Sunday. How many times, oh, what you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to go to this concert. I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to go do this. Okay, that's Saturday. That's Sunday evening. What you doing Sunday morning? Oh, and I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be with God's people. I'm going to go celebrate the greatest thing. That's the pinnacle of my weekend. And don't make it a side note, and I'm going to go to church. 
We'll go to the beach, church, and then we'll go back to the beach. No, it's the pinnacle of what we do. Let everybody know it. I think if we're being honest, the reason some of us don't fly the gospel flags over our lives like that is because we aren't living any differently than the world. When we start talking about God, that might bring that, that A word, accountability. Oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. I would have never guessed. Ouch. If I were a fly on the wall of your workplace or your home, would your speech and conduct be different or the same from those around you? I'll just leave it there. We're all going to go and tell people something. It's not an option of will you go and tell it on the mountain. It's what are you going and telling on the mountain. What is the message you give with your life? Both by your words and by your silence. In 2020, let us be a go and tell people in word and in deed. Number five, last point. Also one of my favorite points. A church of proclaimers is counting on the power of God. A church of proclaimers is counting on the power of God. Verse 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city till you are clothed with power from on high. Now you have to remember, Luke Chapter Luke is a two-volume series, Luke and Acts, Acts of the Apostles. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, we have that famous coming of the Holy Spirit and power. And he came and they did all kind of things, speaking in tongues and signs and wonders were done in the name of Jesus. The church received the power of the Holy Spirit at that time, just as Jesus promised in John 14. Beloved, you need to hear, you are clothed with the power of God this morning. You have the Holy Spirit of God at work within you. This is the power, if you need to extrapolate it, to break the snares of sin. This is the power to walk holy and upright lives. This is the power that brought Jesus back to life from the dead. It is a regenerative power. If we were to go to Luke chapter 1, the Holy Spirit told Mary the same thing. It was the same power that caused a virgin womb to produce a child when it had never been with a man before. It is the same power that is at work in you. See, there's a secret for Christmas. That was once noted, every new birth, every Christian who was born again, every new birth is a virgin birth. Think about that. Man didn't do it. God did it. God did it. And you, beloved, are clothed with this power. I just love that. You are clothed. That's where we get that word endowed. You are endowed. It is just arrayed on you. And you have power. It is power. There are two Greek words for power, exousia and dunamis. Jesus uses them both to say he's got all power in heaven and on earth. If there's a power, he has it. And you have it. And you are clothed with that power. You have more power at work in you than you even realize you have power. I have a dog. She's a pit bull. Her name is Nala. 
Her name is Nala. I've tried to get rid of her three times. <laughs> She's a boomerang dog. She keeps coming back. Nala is funny. She's very powerful. She can't jump. She can't jump. Or she thinks she can't jump. She doesn't know how to jump. We have a wall that is about four feet. That dog has the power to clear that wall. She will not jump into my truck that is only two feet off the ground in the back seat passenger side. She, she won't do it. She doesn't know how to do it. If she ever learns that she can jump, I'm in trouble. But she's four, and she's never jumped a day in her life. Can she jump? Absolutely. But she has no clue what power resides in those little legs. She can pull. She can run. She can do everything else a pit bull can do. But she doesn't jump. And that would be the one thing that would set her free. Let's bring it home. Beloved, you have more power in you than you even know. Satan knows how much power resides in the Holy Spirit. Your enemies know how much power resides in the Holy Spirit. You remember Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 24? He's in Capernaum. He's preaching in a synagogue, and a demon-possessed man, a man with an unclean spirit, comes in before him. He cries down, Jesus of Nazareth, what are you going to do with us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. See, satanic powers, spirits know the power of the Holy Spirit, beloved, but you don't even know what's in you you are clothed with power from on high in the holy spirit this is if you're here and maybe you've never bowed the knee to jesus you're here because somebody brought you here you've been enslaved to all manner of vices or anger or drunkenness or or drugs or, or whatever it is if you're here this is the power to set you free through the forgiveness of your sins by faith in Jesus. It is the power to change you, to give you the one thing you've been after, the one thing that will satisfy your soul finally, God himself. Maybe you're here and you're a believer you have the Holy Spirit. See, this power at work in you can truly reanimate your soul. Remember that famous Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And what's it go on to say? He restores my soul. This is the power to restore the soul of a believer. Do you feel dry with God this morning? Do you feel like he is distant from you? This power is the power to bridge that gap and draw you back. Are you the prodigal son? You've been away in the world. Sin has maimed your walk with Christ. It has separated your fire, your passion for the things of the Lord. This power is the ability to draw you back from the ends of the earth. That's what this power is. It is the ability to refurbish, so to speak, what sin has maimed, and you by the power of the Holy Spirit. We might be Baptists, but may we be, as I said before, Presbyterians in KBC, because we need the Holy Spirit to do what He has called us to do, to be witnesses, to have a life that is conformed to the image of Christ, 
and that proclaim the image of Christ. We need power. And I love this, how practical this is. You notice Jesus doesn't go on to say, okay, go tell all nations, you're my witnesses. Here's your mission statement. Here's your vision statement. Here's a five-year, 10-year, 20-year plan. And here's $300 billion, a fleet of boats, some planes to help you with the process. He doesn't do that. It's what we would like him to do, but he doesn't do that. And many of us are like, man, I want to go, I want to make disciples, I want to be busy about the work of God, but I don't have X. I don't have money. I don't have training. I don't have the life position. I don't have whatever it is. Or we say, what do I do? I don't know. What do I do? I just look, what do I do? Beloved, he gave you and us the one thing we need that unlocks the door to all the other things we will need. He gave you something better than money, better than formal education, better than all of these other things you think you want. He gave you the one thing you need and that is superior. He gave you the Holy Spirit of God and asks that you follow him in obedience and he will provide everything else. And you say, well, I don't feel very powerful. I don't feel like I have power. Then get rid of anything in your life that's hindering the Holy Spirit of the God, that's grieving the Holy Spirit of God, that's distracting you from the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of all of it and follow Him. And you might find that reanimating power starts flowing through again. Abide in Christ, KBC, and let us, all of us, corporately be witnesses of Christ in Maui, and across the nations in 2020. Let's pray. Father, now I ask that you would use your word to accomplish your purpose. If conviction has occurred, then would you bring it to its completion? May it not be ignored, but may repentance flow out. If offense has occurred because of how I have said something, then may you work through my weakness to build your church. And Father, I pray for the one here, or two, or twenty, who need their walk with Christ restored. May you help that power of the Holy Spirit to draw us back to yourself, to re-energize us, to reinvigorate us, for your work next year and today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.